coming up on this edition of The Dwelling Place. The Lord is at the door, and yet in the church we're still grumbling when the ultimate judge who can punish us is at the door. We knew Dad was at the door. We became the nicest kids on the block. Amen. How much more should we stop grumbling and judging one another, knowing Jesus is at the door? Dwelling Did you enjoy watching the Tokyo Olympics? It's exciting to watch those athletes who have trained so hard competing against one another. Every so often in the Olympic Games, a scandal of some sort will surface, whether it's using performance-enhancing drugs or a team deliberately trying to lose. Sadly, not everyone displays the sort of integrity we've come to expect. Today on The Dwelling Place, we're encouraged toward a life of honesty and integrity in all that we say and do. It's an important sign of an established heart. What does that exactly mean? Let's find out. Here's Pastor Al Pittman with a study based on James chapter 5. The word evidence is a interesting word. I mean, we know what it means, but a lot of times getting into the definition of it, it puts more meat on the bone. Evidence is the available body of facts or information indicating whether a belief or proposition is true or valid. And James is writing to believers here, and he's saying, you know what, uh, we are, our faith ought to, it, it ought to be valid. We ought to have a valid faith in that our hearts are established in the Lord. And as evidence of that, that our hearts are established in the Lord, you know, it, it should show on the outside. It's not just in words. It's not just in our doctrine. Doctrine's important, and it's so important, but you can dot all your I's and cross your T's and, 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 and still have a wicked heart, <laughs> Uh, uh, you know, tradition is great. Traditions are wonderful in the church and all of that. Uh, you know, uh, Christian uh, concepts that we live by and all these things are wonderful and principles and stuff. But, but really, what really matters, the true measure of, of whether or not we, our heart is established in the Lord is our actions. And so James talks about here our attitude. He talks about our endurance, and he talks about our integrity in Christ. And all three of these ought to be evidence of the fact that we, our hearts are established in Jesus Christ. Didn't say that we were perfect people or whatever, but our attitude, our lives are impacted by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, Our attitude, the endurance, the way we live out our lives, we walk our lives, uh, the integrity of our heart should be evidence of the fact that our hearts are established in the Lord. So I want to talk to you about that this morning and pray that God will bless you through his word as we look at the evidence of an established heart in Christ. And the first one that uh, James mentions here is, is evidence that our heart is established in the Lord is our attitude. He gets right at it. You know, James is, uh, you know, that <laughs> really a condensed version of discipleship the whole book of James has been. Uh, and uh, he gets right at it and speaks about our attitude as he starts out here in verse 9 And he says, do not grumble against one another. Now, we can just stop right there. Amen. We can just stop right there. Do not grumble against one another. And then he goes on to say, brethren, unless you be condemned, behold, the the judge is at the door. The judge is at the door. Now, it's interesting that, uh, you know, these evidences of, of an established heart 
are really motivated that we find here in verses 9 to 12 are really motivated by verse 8 and also the latter part here, verse 9. In verse 8, we looked at it last time where he says, you also be patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. If my heart is established and I, and I, and I know the Lord is coming soon, then my, it ought to impact my attitude. Didn't say that your attitude would be perfect every day, but it, it ought to impact uh, our attitude, our spirit, you could say, uh, uh, as we live in this world. Do not grumble. So in the context, he's, in context, he's talking about grumbling against one another, against believers. Again, he's writing to believers here. That word grumble is from the Greek word stenazo, and it means to sigh, to murmur, or to pray inaudibly. <clears throat> to pray inaudibly. Now, now, men, if you've ever been watching a football game and your wife says, could you take the trash out, you know what this word means. Amen? Because you start praying inaudibly. You ain't watch the game by yourself. What'd you say, honey? Oh, nothing. You know. You're praying inaudibly. That's what you're doing. You're murmuring under your, under your breath. Or, or that, oh, man, that's that, that grumbly, that attitude. I'm not saying that this is what James is talking about here, but that attitude toward one another should not exist within the church, grumbling and complaining against one another. I like what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, those complain first in our churches who have the least to do. Amen. The gift of grumbling is largely dispensed among those who have no other talents or who keep what they have wrapped up in a napkin, close quote. It's easy to play the armchair quarterback to criticize other people when you do nothing. In all of my studies of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, I have never run across the gift of grumbling, <laughs> as Spurgeon calls it, the gift of grumbling, yet it seems to be prevalent within the church. And no matter what church you go to, you always have someone who's a grumbler who likes to complain about different things. They're not going to do anything about it, but they like to complain. First Peter chapter 4 tells, says this, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold, multifaceted grace of God. You know what that tells me? It tells me that grumbling always occurs in the absence of grace. Now, listen, we've all been guilty of it. Let's be honest about it. But when you think about it in our relationship, and again, the context is just talking about believers, our relationship with one another. If you find a church grumbling or a believer grumbling against another believer, then that believer has forgotten the grace of God. But how can we grumble against someone when God has been so gracious toward us? When we grumble, we, we actually, James says here, <clears throat> place ourselves under judgment. That's interesting. He's not, talking, he's not talking about losing your salvation, but he says, you know what? You're condemning yourself. You're grumbling. You think you're, you're uh, hurting that person. What you're actually doing in reality is condemning yourself. He says, you know, do not grumble, brother, lest you be condemned. That word condemned means punish. You're punishing yourself. You're coming out on the short end of the deal by grumbling all the time. You're not benefiting. You're punishing yourself. Jesus had a pretty interesting uh, take on our attitude, especially when we feel we've been offended or whatever. 
In Luke chapter 6, if you'll turn there with me, Luke chapter 6, verses 35 to 38. Now, <laughs> we read these words, and again, this is Jesus teaching. It's not what Pastor Al's opinion is or anything like that. It's what he said. And in verse 35, he says, but love your enemies. Now, you just stop there. That's, that's pretty. That's tough. Love my enemies? Yeah. Do good and lend hoping for nothing in return. Let me read that one again. <clears throat> lend hoping for nothing in return. If I give somebody some money, someone says, hey, can I borrow a couple hundred dollars? And you give them that money, you say, you know what? I hope you don't pay me back. Anybody done that lately? Well, you know, I need that money by Friday. Make sure you give me that money. I need my paper, you know. I need my money by Friday, you know. He says, give hoping, hoping, and <laughs> the words of Jesus, but nothing in return. And your, this is why you do it. Your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. You'll be like your daddy. For listen to this. For he is kind to the unthankful and evil. What? I ain't never doing that for them folks again. They're unthankful. They ain't call me. They send me a card. Bet you next time I do something for them, they'll know about it. Hell freeze over. Your little attitude about it. Because they didn't say thank you. Or they didn't get you a card on your birthday when you got them something on theirs. If you want to be like your father, then be kind to the unthankful. And then he goes a little further. This is Jesus talking. Did I say that? Did I mention that? <laughs> he says, in the evil, radical Christianity. It gets better. Therefore, be merciful, just as your father also is merciful. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Wow. Wow. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure. Press down. Shaken together running over, will be, given, will be put into your bosom, for with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, one first rule of biblical interpretation is context. And you look at this in context, what Jesus is saying. Now, people like to pull verse 38 out of context and talk about give it, it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. What do most people attach that scripture to? Money. Money, give, and it'll be given to you. Amen. <laughs> Press down, shaking together. Amen. Running over. Will it be given into your bosom? Amen. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And said, y'all, some of y'all getting happy already. You know what? If I give 10, he'll give me 100, 100 fold blessing. Oh, my Lord. But look at the context. Look at the context. He said, give. Give what? What he just started, was talking about. Lending to people. Being merciful to folks. Not judging people. Forgiving people. For with the same measure that you use in forgiving people and not judging people, it will be given back to you. That's the context. He's not just talking about money. And money's included in that, lend without and hoping to not be repaid. He's talking about money too. 
but he's talking about giving in the same measure. You just, you know, somebody needs to borrow a little money and you open up your change purse. Pastor Al will be back in a moment with the conclusion of today's message in James chapter 5. In these confusing and sometimes scary times in which we live, would you like someone to pray for you? We would count it a real blessing to be able to do that. So share your prayer needs with us by going to our website, cwccs.org, and click the Need Prayer tab at the top of the homepage. That's cwccs.org. And thanks for remembering the dwelling place in your prayers as well. Now with the conclusion of today's message, titled, Evidence of an Established Heart, here's our teacher, Pastor Al Pittman. You know, Grandma used to carry that change in her napkin. Amen. Some of you remember this? Grandma would wrap her dollar bills and change in a napkin and put it where? In the safest place in the house, in her brassiere. <laughs> Amen. And, you know, some of us pull a little, little napkin. I got a little money. We open it up and then give you a little quarter, you know. And with the same way you give, it will be given back to you. And we do that with forgiveness. And we do that with not judging others. And with the same measure you give, it will be given back to you. Do not grumble against each other forgive each other with liberality so that it can come back to you that forgiveness amen so back here in james chapter 5 within the church we are not to grumble and then james tells us he says in verse 9 he says here's why we shouldn't grumble because you know what behold the judge is at the door the judge is at the door. He just said the Lord is coming soon in verse 8, and then he says he's at the door. Well, if Jesus is at the door, and James wrote this about 2,000 years ago, he must be turning the knob today. Amen? He's coming soon. And I know there are the scoffers out there, but he's coming soon. And because we know he's coming soon as believers, it ought to affect our attitude. It ought to affect the way we behave. Now, let's be honest. Sometimes you think, man, I'm sure glad God didn't come back about an hour ago. <laughs> Amen. I want to choke that guy down at the store, you know, or whatever it is, you know. But it should affect the way that we do behave. And we stop grumbling against one another because we respect the ultimate and supreme authority. The judge, Jesus, is at the door. When I was a little boy, I was... I'm the oldest of, of three, three boys, my, my, uh, two younger brothers, and then my sister's older than me. But as boys, we, you know, boys do what boys do. And uh, we got into a lot of trouble, and we fight each other and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, crazy stuff. I've told you my stories about me feeding Easy Off to my brother. Easy off oven cleaner, if you didn't know what that was, because it did taste good. And I thought, well, it's pretty good. So he might want a double portion. So, and uh, mom had to rush us to the, to the doctor, and they gave us milk with castor oil in it to drink it down so we could get rid of the stuff we had just eaten. And we would do crazy. You know, you jump off the roof of the house with a towel on Superman. And hey, we didn't have Xbox, all right? <laughs> We had to invent stuff. We had to entertain ourselves, amen? We were creative, all right? Throw dirt clods at each other, you know, they were like grenades, you know, and they just had break, and if you hit somebody in the head, just, hey, cost of war, man, you know? 
But we would sometimes be in the room, in the back room, and, and it was like three of us in one room and, and a little small house. And sometimes we'd get back there and start tussling, fighting, and screaming and stuff. And Dad would be in there trying to relax. And, and boy, you could hear him coming down the hallway, you know, just bump on that floor, boom, boom, boom. And it, simultaneously, the belt coming out of the loop. <laughs> Daddy was at the door. The ultimate judge. And when he opened the door, there was no grumbling. And I think, you know, the Lord is at the door. And yet in the church, we're still grumbling. When the ultimate judge who can punish us is at the door. We knew dad was at the door. We became the nicest kids on the block. Amen. How much more should we stop grumbling and judging one another? Knowing Jesus is at the door. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 says, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, because he's the ultimate judge, and he will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. Amen. So the first evidence that truly my heart is established in Christ, it ought to impact my attitude, James says. And then secondly, James says, it ought to impact my endurance, my ability to continue to follow the Lord. And how do I do that? By following good, godly examples. And we need those examples in our lives. Need to be reminded of what it is to walk by faith. And so James says here in verse 10, uh, my brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed, blessed, who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Amen. James here is reminding them and embedding in their thoughts, embedding in their thoughts examples to encourage them in their times of suffering and patience. I was reading uh, where it said uh, for many years in Monterey, California, it was known as a pelican's paradise. And as the fishermen cleaned their fish, they flung the offal, that is the innards of the fish, to the pelicans. The birds grew fat and lazy and contented. Eventually, however, the offal was utilized. And there were no longer snacks for the pelicans. When the change came, the pelicans made no effort to fish for themselves. They waited around and grew gaunt and thin. Many starved to death. They had forgotten how to fish for themselves. The problem was solved by importing new pelicans from the south, birds accustomed to foraging for themselves. And they were placed among their starving cousins, and the newcomers immediately started catching fish. Before long, the hungry pelicans followed suit, and the famine was ended. Just kind of an example of sometimes, I think, sermons, for example, sometimes is, for some believers, they look at it as the awful that the fishermen fed to the pelicans. They, I come on Sunday, so Pastor, I'll throw out to us what, what you have you know, sort of studied and you have sort of poured over, you know, and we're here to receive that. And I, I hope you do receive it and all, but, but what happens is if that's all we're depending on, we forget how to fish for ourselves. We forget how to 
seek the Lord on our own to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. And we grow fat and lazy because we're well fed. And we think this is the, the, the main meal. No, God wants to feed us each and every day. But we can, and it can be a danger to us as believers that we can become fat and lazy and forget how to, to fish for ourselves. And the problem with that is that we don't know how to endure. And so, you know, we, we, we people can fall off by the wayside or whatever because, you know, all they're living on is that weekly offal that the pastor throws out into the congregation. And that's always, that's always dangerous. And so the remedy, of course, is to repent of our laziness and to incorporate godly examples of spiritual endurance. And that's what James is doing here by saying, hey, you guys remember, because you're going to go through times of suffering and patience. Remember the examples. He's embedding some new pelicans. Remember the prophets of old. And then in particular, he points out Job. Job is one of those examples. We love the story of Job, do we not? Because he comes out on top at the end, right? I mean, he goes through all this suffering and patiently suffering, and he comes out on top uh, in the end. Culturally, we as Americans, we love an underdog. We love to see people win that come up from nothing, you know, and win and all. And, but uh, movies like Rocky, we like Rocky movies, you know. We uh, like to hear about, you know, Rocky winning the fight and getting into the ring and, and uh, getting beat up. I mean, I watch those Rocky movies. I mean, how many Rocky movies are there, like 19,000? <laughs> but everyone's the same way, you know, getting beat up, and then he finally comes back and, you know, come on! You know, all this kind of stuff, you know, and the harder you hit him, the tougher he gets and all that. And he comes out and he wins, you know. But, you know, when you're suffering, you're going through suffering. Like we like to see that in a movie theater or whatever. But I don't know about you, but when I'm going through suffering, uh, I don't have my own theme music. Wouldn't it be great to have your own theme music when you're suffering? You know. You know, whenever you had your own theme music, you're walking down the street, people are like, what's that music coming from? You're like, I guess it's my theme music. <laughs> we don't have our own theme music. And you know what? We, we, you know, your suffering doesn't come with a, you know, a large buttered popcorn and a Coke and a recliner seat at the movie theater. And, and uh, usually our, our <laughs> suffering lasts a lot longer than 90 minutes. Amen. This has been The Dwelling Place, featuring the Bible teaching ministry of Pastor Al Pittman, Senior Pastor at Calvary Worship Center in Colorado Springs, Colorado. If you enjoy Pastor Al's teaching ministry, we have some good news for you. You can listen, watch, or download an archive of past messages and our current series in the Book of Acts with a simple mouse click at cwccs.org. Just click the Messages tab at the top of the page. And while you're checking out our website, be sure to download the Calvary Worship Center app for your device and take Pastor Al with you wherever you go. The Dwelling Place is also available at oneplace.com. And I would also like to ask you to take a few moments today to send Pastor Al an email and let him know that you enjoy The Dwelling Place on this station. You can also share a prayer request with us. Just send an email to amen at cwccs.org. Have you considered becoming a financial supporter of The Dwelling Place? We count on your support to keep this radio ministry going and growing. You can support this program with a one-time gift or become a monthly supporter. 
If you'd like to join our support team, you can do so at our website, cwccs.org, or by texting the word GIVE to 719-354-2778. If you live in the Colorado Springs area and are looking for a church home, or you'll be visiting the area in the future, we invite you to come join us for worship here at Calvary Worship Center. You'll find directions and more information at cwccs.org. And no matter where you are, you can watch our services via live streaming right there at our website. You'll find directions and service times for both locations at cwccs.org. Have a wonderful day in the Lord, and join us next time for another study in the book of Acts. The Dwelling Place with Pastor Al Pittman is presented by Calvary Worship Center in Colorado Springs, Colorado.